1: and welcome to the Molson Coors Beverage Company and second quarter fiscal year 2021 earnings conference call. You can find related slides on the Investor Relations page of the Molson Coors website. Our speakers today are Gavin Hattersley, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Tracy Gilbert, Chief Financial Officer. With that, I'll hand it over to Greg Tierney, Vice President of fp and Investor Relations.
2: Thank you, Operator, and hello, everyone. Following prepared remarks from Gavin and Tracy, we will take your questions. Please limit yourself to one question, and if you have more than one question, please ask the most pressing question first and then re enter the queue for follow up. If you have technical questions on the quarter, please pick them up with our IR team in the days and weeks that follow. Now, today's discussion includes forward-looking statements and actual results or trends could differ materially from our forecasts. For more information, please refer to the risk factors discussed in our most recent filings with the SEC. We assume no obligation to update forward-looking statements. Gap reconciliations for any non-US GAAP measures are included in our news release. And also, unless otherwise indicated, all financial results the company discusses are versus the, the comparable prior year period and in U.S. dollars. And with that,
3: over to you, Gavin. Thanks, Greg, good morning, and thank you everybody for joining us today. Nearly two years ago, we laid out the Molson Coors Revitalization Plan, a multi-year strategy to deliver the sustainable top-line growth that has eluded our business for many years, while at the same time, delivering sustainable bottom-line growth. Under the plan, we have streamlined the company on reinvesting those savings to build on the strength of our iconic core aggressively grow our above premium portfolio, expand beyond the BRL, enhance our capabilities, and support our people and communities. We had a few doubters then, and we had some, had some unexpected challenges since, from a global pandemic to severe Texas winter storms to a cyber attack on our company. But nearly two years later, we can say to those doubters with confidence that Molson Coors is on the path to deliver sustainable top and bottom line growth. Our performance this quarter speaks for itself. I say that because for nearly two years, we've talked a lot about the outputs of our revitalization plan. New investments, new partnerships, new product launches and new campaigns. But today we're able to start talking meaningfully about outcomes from the revitalization plan. And that's an important shift. In the second quarter, despite ongoing pandemic restrictions, we delivered the most top line growth of any quarter in over a decade and we nearly achieved 2019 net sales revenue levels on a constant currency basis, despite those pandemic restrictions during this quarter. I'm incredibly pleased with this progress, because it's a strong indicator of what is yet to come through our revitalization plan. Our progress was primarily driven by three things. First, it was driven by the fact that we delivered the best brand mix in the United States since the inception of the Milicoos Joint Venture in 2008. This significant premiumization of our portfolio was led by the strong growth of our U.S. hard seltzers, where we doubled our share of the U.S. hard seltzer segment in the second quarter. We took over as the global brewer with the fastest-growing U.S. seltzer portfolio, and we recently passed another major brewer, and in our fourth in total U.S. seltzer share, as we continued to move towards our goal of, achieve, of achieving a 10 share in the U.S. by year-end. Those are our outcomes. We're also continuing to see strong traction with our Visi innovation. Visi's fast-turning new lemonade variety pack helped the Visi brand gain almost a full point of U.S. share in the second quarter. And we just added another new package to that family with Visi watermelon, which has been a hit with retailers thus far. Topo Chica Hard Seltzer continues to exceed our expectations in the 16 markets in which it's sold in the U.S. demand has far outpaced our original plans for the brand, and with supply improving, we are now positioned to be more aggressive in marketing this brand. That is an outcome. Outside of the U.S., our Canadian hard seltzer portfolio continues to perform very well. The combination of Vizzy and Coors hard seltzer has earned more than a 50 share of the hard seltzer category with the largest beer retailer in the country. Vizzy specifically has earned the number one spot in the on-premise in key regions like Ontario. And we're looking forward to fuel its momentum with Busy Lemonade, which launched in Canada just a few weeks ago. That's an outcome. In Europe, threefold in the UK and why moment in Central and Eastern Europe continue to build distribution and consumer awareness with a strong mix of brand advertising. The category is still at an early stage, but we are well positioned to win, share, and develop our portfolio as popularity around hard seltzers continues to grow. And while our fast-growing hard self-support portfolio is driving our premiumization, it's not alone. Madrid continues to exceed expectations in the U.K. on-premise with unprecedented consumer demand. And Praha, from the start of and stable of brands, is performing ahead of expectations in the central and eastern European markets, beating initial estimates by more than 50%. Our Latin America business, where our global brands primarily operate in the above premium price segment, has exceeded expectations given the coronavirus pandemic throughout the region. Collectively, for the first half of 2021, the region is exceeding brand volume levels for the comparable 2019 period despite continued government-issued pandemic restrictions. For example, our Puerto Rican operations, which had been in long-term decline, are currently growing. Those are outcomes. In Canada, our Six Pints Craft division is growing absolute volume despite its reliance on the on-premise. In the U.S., Blue Moon Light Sky was the number one new beer item in 2020 and has grown double digits this year, building off its strong base, while Lining Crew's Summer Shandy brand volume is up 10% year-to-date. Those are outcomes. And in just a few weeks, the Yingling Joint Venture will launch in the state of Texas, where distributor, retailer, and customer interest has been incredibly high. Product shipments begin next week and are scheduled to hit retail by August the 23rd. The other factor that drove the best brand mix in more than a decade is a rationalization of the long, long tail of our economy portfolio in the U.S. As we have discussed, in recent months in the U.S., we paused production of a number of smaller, low-margin, slow-moving economy brands and SKUs. This allowed us to improve our brewing efficiency and stabilize inventories of our core brands, and it also premiumized our portfolio and improved our margins. And we intend to maintain that higher level of premiumization and service. So after an extensive analysis of our business, we are meaningfully streamlining and premiumizing our U.S. portfolio, discontinuing around 100 SKUs, including the elimination of 11 economy brands altogether. This will improve supply chain flexibility for our more profitable priority brands, enhance our innovation efforts, enable us to better focus resources, and ensure dependable and on-time shipments to our distributors. Let's be clear. While economy brands have typically not been a focus of the investment community, distributors who sell brands like Magnum and Mickey's Ice are going to feel it when they're discontinued. So our local sales teams are partnering with distributors and retailers on a market-by-market basis on exit plans and to identify swaps that make sense. So the headline is simple. Premiumization is here to stay at Molson Coors. We're going to invest bigger behind our fast-growing global heart support portfolio, and we're going to permanently streamline our smaller portfolio of legacy brands. We're excited about the progress we're making, and we're not about to stop now. Our top-line growth was also driven by the strength of our core brands and the pace of the return to the on-premise. Coors Light and Miller Light, again, grew share of the U.S. premium light segment, with on-premise accounts reopening in a big way across the U.S., the brands were at 97% of their total 2019 STR volume in the second quarter. Coors specifically achieved its best half-year share trend in four years, and its U.S. STRs rose by 1.7% in the second quarter. At the same time, Miller Lite grew 3.2% in the U.S. in the quarter. In Canada, Coors has grown share with our largest retail customer for four straight quarters. Our top-line growth was also aided by the investments we have made in our Beyond Beer initiatives. Standing here at the end of July, Zoa has already far surpassed our expectations for the entire year, and its co-owner, Dwayne Johnson, continues to amplify the product across his massive social media presence, as well as through a new TV campaign that debuted during the Olympics this month. The RTD coffee market is estimated at $4.3 billion in 2021 and La is ranked number one in the above premium category. We're excited about the progress we are making and continue to have success with distribution to large national and regional retailers in both the drug and convenience store channels. Trust Canada, our joint venture with Hexo, has grown to more than a 50 share of the Canadian cannabis beverage industry and now holds seven of the top 10 SKUs in the country. And in the U.S., after starting in the Denver metro area, Trust U.S. has expanded distribution to other distributors and independent retailers across the state, a strong vote of confidence in the joint ventures plan and in its brands. As I said earlier, the results from the second quarter demonstrate that the revitalization plan is starting to pay off. So we're going to continue investing in our business, in our people, and in our communities to continue driving the results we're starting to see. We saw that in the last quarter as we announced two new projects to increase our global hard seltzer production capacity. Canada, we announced plans to quadruple our in-house hard sulfur production capacity. And in the UK, we announced plans to add a new hard sulfur canning line in our Burton upon Trent Brewery while also upgrading our beer and cider packaging facilities to drive efficiencies. Those two investments follow a similar effort last year to increase our hard seltzer production capacity fivefold in the US. These investments will have long-lasting benefits as we bring more production in-house and ultimately improve our profit margin. But the investments in our business are not stopping there. Finally, after more than a year of pandemic-related challenges, we're going to be able to more fully invest behind our brands. Now, what does that mean? Well, sticking in the UK for a moment, Seafold Hard Seltzer is backed by the biggest brand investment Molson Coors has ever made into a new UK category. And you can expect to see a boost in our marketing spending over the second half of the year as well. That's because markets are opening back up. Our local alliances are reactivating for the first time in over a year. And our inventory will have recovered to a point that it makes sense to more fully invest behind the brand marketing. As important as that is, our success or failure as a company isn't entirely defined by our top line growth. It's also determined in part by how well we support our approximately 17,000 employees and support our hometown communities all around the world. That's why we directly engaged our North American employees in what we call Project Justice, an effort we started last summer and have continued in 2021. Through this initiative, we are supporting 33 organizations across the U.S. and Canada that are working to create a more just and inclusive world. That's also why we're expanding our scholarship program for U.S. college students of color who are pursuing careers in fermentation and brewing sciences as we work to bring more diverse voices to our industry. And that's why we're looking within our organization to improve the representation of women and people of color across the biggest part of our business. We also just released our annual ESG report called Our Our Imprint with a refreshed strategy that focuses on two key pillars, people and planet. From eliminating plastic rings in the UK, to saving over 100 million gallons of water annually through our golden brewery modernization project, to the significant work we are doing to support our people, we've made great progress against our goals, and stay tuned as we continue our ESG journey. We've had our share of challenges over the last several years, but that is changing. And today the signs all say the same thing. Molson Coors' future is bright and the revitalization plan is succeeding. We're deleveraging our business, we've reinstated a dividend, we're thinking more consciously about how we best support our people in the communities in which we operate, we're investing behind our brands, we're reshaping our portfolio, and we're expanding into new spaces. Nearly two years into our revitalization plan, our results are improving. We're going to put our foot even more firmly on the gas pedal as we drive towards our sustainable top and bottom line growth initiative for this business.
4: Thank you, you, Gavin, and hello, everyone. We posted a strong second quarter, which exceeded expectations. We continue to make real progress executing our revitalization plan, and we are starting to see the results in our operating performance. As Gavin noted, we continue to premiumize our brands and strengthen our core business, and our improved financial flexibility has enabled us to invest in our business while continuing to delever our balance sheet and to reinstate a dividend. Now let me take you through our quarterly results in more detail and provide an update on our outlook. Consolidated net sales revenue increased 13.7% in constant currency, delivering 98% of second quarter 2019 levels, despite continuing to operate with varying degrees of on-premise restrictions. Consolidated financial volumes improved 5.5%, outpacing brand volume growth of 3.1%, driven by higher Europe volumes and favorable U.S. domestic shipments. Topline performance benefited from on-premise reopenings in the quarter for most of our major markets, as well as strong global net pricing, positive channel mix, and historic favorable brand mix levels in the U.S as we continue to premiumize our portfolio. Net sales per hectolitre on a brand volume basis increased 5% in constant currency, driven by pricing growth, coupled with positive brand and channel mix, partially offset by geographic mix given the strong growth in Europe and Latin America. This top line growth was somewhat offset by inflationary pressures, which impacted most consumer product companies, as well as increased marketing investments as we continue to execute our revitalization plan. Underlying costs per hectolitre increased 8% on a constant currency basis driven by cost inflation, including higher freight and packaging costs. However, with robust hedging and cost savings programs, we have been able to significantly mitigate much of the inflationary pressure mg in the quarter increased 25.3% on a constant currency basis, as we cycled timing shifts and targeted reductions to marketing spend in the prior year period due to the coronavirus pandemic. As planned, we significantly increased marketing investments in the quarter, putting strong commercial pressure behind our key innovations and core brands. Underlying EBITDA decreased 1.3% on a constant currency basis, but increased compared to 2019 second quarter levels. Underlying free cash flow was point two million million for the first half of the year, a decrease of $238.2 million from the prior year period. This decrease was wholly driven by lacking roughly $500 million in benefits in the prior year related to tax deferrals due to governmental programs, and was partially offset by favorable working capital and lower capital spend. Capital expenditures paid were $212 million for the first half of the year as we continue to invest behind capability programs such as our previously announced Golden Brewery Modernization Project and our new Montreal Brewery. Capital expenditures were lower in the first half of the year compared to the prior year, primarily due to project timing. Now let's look at our results by business unit. In North America, the on-premise channel accounted for approximately 13% of our net sales revenue in the quarter, compared to approximately 16% in the same period in 2019. In North America, on-premise reopenings vary by market. In the U.S., our largest market, we continue to see progressive reopenings during the quarter and attained over 80% of 2019 levels as of quarter end. In Latin America, restrictions continue to ease, while in Canada, significant restrictions continued throughout the quarter, with on-premise volumes about one quarter of pre-pandemic levels. North America net sales revenue was up 8.3% in constant currency, driven by strong net pricing growth, positive brand mix in the U.S., favorable U.S. shipment timing, and higher Latin America volumes. Of note... U.S. net sales revenue exceeded the second quarter 2019 levels. In the U.S., domestic shipment volumes increased 1.2%, outpacing brand volume declines of 4% as we focused on rebuilding inventory following the first quarter supply disruption. The brand volume declines were entirely due to economy, which was down double digits as we deprioritized certain non-core SKUs. Our above premium portfolio was up double digits and our premium brands were up low single digits. In fact, our U.S. above premium brand volumes reached a record high portion of our portfolio compared to any prior quarter since the creation of the Millicruz joint venture in 2008. Canada brand volumes declined 5.1% while Latin America brand volumes experienced triple digit growth driven by strong core brand performance. Net sales per hectolitre on a brand volume basis increased 4.7% in constant currency with pricing growth delivered across all geographies. The U.S. increased 6.9% driven by net pricing and historic levels of positive brand mix. While the intention decline in economy was a contributor, about half of this record mixed performance was due to growth in above premium led by innovation brands, including Vizi, Topo Chico Hard Sulfur, and Zoa. These positive factors were partially offset by negative geographic mix, resulting from the restricted trading environment in the higher-revenue Canadian business and strong growth in Latin America. Underlying costs per hectolitre increased 8.5% driven by inflation, including higher transportation and packaging materials costs, and mixed impacts from premiumization. Underlying NGA increased 24.2% due to higher marketing investments. We increased marketing investment behind core innovation brands, and we increased media spending behind our iconic core brands, Hurst and Miller Lite. Our US media spend approached 2019 levels, while local tactical spend was somewhat constrained due to on-premise restrictions, which eased throughout the quarter. North America underlying EBITDA decreased 10.7% in constant currency, as higher gross profits was more than offset by higher planned MGNA. Europe net sales revenue was up 52.3% in constant currency, driven by volume increases and positive channel, geographic and brand mix due to on-premise progressive reopening, most meaningfully in the UK, given the reduced on-premise restrictions compared to nearly full lockdowns in the prior year quarter. Above premium brand volumes reached a record-high portion of our Europe portfolio. Europe financial volumes increased 17.8% and brand volumes increased 15.4%, driven by a significant increase in UK on-premise volumes. Net sales per hectoliter on a brand volume basis increased 16.6%, driven by favourable channel, geographic and brand mix, particularly from our higher margin on-premise focused UK business, as well as positive pricing. Underlying EBITDA increased 189% in constant currency, driven by growth margin impacts of higher volume and favourable channel, geographic and brand mix as a result of gradual on-premise reopening, partially offset by higher MG&A expense. Turning to the balance sheet, as of June 30, 2021, we had lowered our net debt to underlying EBITDA ratio to 3.35 times and reduced our net debt to $6.9 billion, down from three and a half times and $7.5 billion respectively as of December 31, 2020. We ended the second quarter with strong borrowing capacity with no outstanding balance on our $1.5 billion U.S. credit facility. Turning to our financial outlook, we are again reaffirming our 2021 annual guidance originally provided on February the 11th, 2021. While we are certainly in a better place than we were a year ago, it bears reminding that uncertainty as it pertains to the coronavirus and its variants remains to varying degrees by market. Now I'll provide some underlying expectations to provide some additional context for the balance of the year. We expect to deliver mid-single-digit net sales revenue growth for the full year on a constant currency basis. Building off the strong shipment growth in the U.S. in the second quarter, we continue to aggressive, work aggressively to build inventories to more optimal levels. In the U.S., we expect on-premise trends to continue to improve as we lack restrictions in the prior year period. In Canada, we are seeing gradual on-premise reopenings varying by, promise, by province, which should provide positive channel mix. In Europe, the UK should benefit from their full on-premise reopening July 19th. However, the comparison is more difficult than it was for the second quarter, given the on-premise was largely open for the full third quarter of 2020. Our guidance also anticipates continued strength in our both premium portfolios, particularly hard seltzers. Also, we expect continued solid progress against our previously discussed emerging growth three-year revenue goal of $1 billion, against which we are tracking ahead of plan. We continue to anticipate underlying EBITDA to be roughly flat compared to 2020, as top-line growth is expected to be offset by continued cost inflationary headwinds But more significantly, from increased investments to deliver against our revitalization plan. We intend to increase marketing investments to build on the strength of our core brands and support successful innovations. As a result, we expect significant year on year increases in marketing investments over the balance of the year, and most notably in the third quarter. We expect third quarter marketing investments to be higher than the second quarter of 2021 and also higher than the third quarter of 2019 as we continue to ramp up supply following the disruptions in the first quarter. Obviously, this will have an impact on our bottom line, particularly in the third quarter, but this will strengthen the future of our brand. Also, as a reminder, in 2020, our working capital benefited from the deferral of approximately $130 million in tax payments from various government-sponsored payment deferral programs related to the coronavirus pandemic. We currently anticipate the majority to be paid this year as they become due. Moving to capital allocation, we continue to prioritize investing in our business to drive top-line growth and efficiencies, reducing debt and returning cash to shareholders. First, we plan to continue to prudently invest in brewery modernization and production capacity and capabilities to support new innovations and growth initiatives, improve efficiencies and advance towards our sustainability goals. Second, we have a strong desire to maintain and, in time, upgrade our investment-grade rating. As such, we expect to continue to pay down debt and reaffirm our target net debt to underlying EBITDA ratio to be approximately 3.25 times by the end of 2021 and below three times by the end of 2022. Demonstrating our commitment to this goal, on July July the 15th, we announced that we had repaid in full the $1 billion, 2.1% senior notes that were maturing that day using a combination of commercial paper and cash on hand. And third, and also as announced on July the 15th, our Board of Directors determined to reinstate a quarterly dividend on our Class A and Class B common shares and declared a dividend a quarterly dividend of 54 cents per share. The board made the decision to reinstate a dividend at a level that they believe is sustainable and gives room for future increases as business performance improves. We are proud of our operational performance in the quarter, which underscores successful e- execution against our revitalization plan. We are excited about the future of Moulton Kurz as we drive toward our goal of long-term sustainable revenue and underlying EBITDA growth. And with that, we look forward to taking your questions. Operator.
1: Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To ask a question, you may press star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you're using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing the keys. To withdraw your question, please press star 2. At this time, we'll pause momentarily to assemble our roster.
0: Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
1: Our first question comes from Rob Odenstein,
2: Evercore. Great. Great, and thank you very much. Um, Gavin, I'm wondering if you could talk... Uh, a little bit about what you've learned so far about the hard seltzer market. Uh, you know, clearly it seems that there's some issues with um, beer branded trademarks, um, but you know, at the same time, we've you've got this proliferation of 700 brands or more that I understand. There's competition from various ready-to-drinks. So, love to get your thoughts on that, and then and then also, you know, love to understand why you're not using the, uh, the Visi trademark more in Europe and the U.K., and that you feel that you need to have different sorts of trademarks there. So uh, a lot of questions. Just really love to get your thoughts on what you've learned about hard seltzers and what's going on in that segment. Thank you.
3: Thanks, Robert, and uh, good morning. Um, look, I mean, we've always said that the, um, that the growth rates weren't going to continue at the elevated levels that 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 they that they were and that others might have might, might have seen so you know robert it's really no surprise to us that this this rate of growth slowed because you know the category was starting last year is huge comps and we've we've said in the past that thatssus were a beneficiary of the on premise shutdown because it had such distribution exposure in the in the off premise and so as as the on premises is reopened um there's 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 less distribution there and so you know this this is not a surprise uh, to us i think we've been saying this for for almost a year we we've also been saying um you know for a while it, you know even if it's growing at 10% 20% 40% there, there really isn't anything else in the in the beer space that's that's growing that that quickly so you know it's good for the beer category and it's and it's good for us um in in north america in, in the us we've got two um two uh, very clear and differentiated winners uh, from our, our point of view, and, and we plan to to continue our focus on on busy and uh, and Topo Chico hard seltzer. Now you referred to uh, Coors Coors seltzer, um, Robin. I would say to you that Coors seltzer up in Canada is actually doing really, really well. Um, you know, it's already achieved um, double-digit share in in some some retailers, and you know, it's. it's between Visi and Quiz Seltzer is probably the most successful uh, product launches that we've had for our company in in, in five years up in up in Canada. Um, you know we we do believe that there'll be a shakeout in the in the near future as many brands struggle to to succeed in the crowded space. And you know while Visi and Topra Chico Hot Seltzer continued to accelerate, um, you know Cruz Hot Seltzer wasn't, and so that's why we made the decision in the U.S. to discontinue. Uh, of course, i will and commit our energy, our resources, the material supply we've got, and our shelf space to busy and Topo Chico. Of course, it's going to stay in Canada because it's doing, as I said, really well. The market dynamics are different, and the brand has performed well. Um, in Europe, you know, it's exhibiting in the UK um, and and Central and Eastern Europe some of the same trends um, in the early days as the as the US did. And you know, we've obviously tested all of our all of our um, Options from a from a brand point of view, and and the early read was that that, that threefold was the right brand to go with, and it's landed uh, very well. We're building capacity there, and I think we're well positioned in the UK um, to be a, a strong player if it if it takes off like it did in the US. Um, and the same applies to Central East and Eastern Europe. Why moment was the was the best brand resonated really well with the consumers there. Um, the Central Eastern European uh, team do a fantastic job from an, from an execution point of view, so the execution is really good. And, and uh, we actually have first mover advantage in Central and Eastern Europe. So, you know, we, we, we feel uh, very good about our, 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 our leading position um, in Central and Eastern Europe with, with that brand as, as, as well. Um, I think I hit all your questions, Rob, but if I didn't, I'm happy to take a follow-up from you.
2: Yeah, the and thank you for that that detail. The the only other one um, was how how do you look at the interaction between hard seltzers and ready to drinks? Uh, you know, there's some observers say that there's really not much interaction. It's the same occasion. Uh, I'm not sure I believe that 100%. Um, but you know, love love to get your thoughts on on the various ready to drink. Uh, concoctions that are coming up, and uh, how you how you intend to play in that space uh, going forward as well. I know you're doing a few things there. Thank you.
3: Uh, sure, sure, Rob. I mean, you know, RTD beverages are emerging an uh, and emerging and fast growing uh, segments. In fact, RTD sales already outpace spirits, and, and and that gap's only going to um, likely widen in the, in, the, in, the, in the future and, you know, competing in this space is, is a natural fit for companies like ourselves who've got experience packaging beverages in 12-ounce cans and, and bottles and working with our distributor partners to get those products out there. So, you know, we look forward to competing in this category with, uh, with Proofpoint. Um, we've uh, got Superbird as well, which is the top end of that, which we launched earlier this year and, and you know, we have other offerings uh, that we believe will, uh, will appeal, appeal to consumers in our innovation pipeline.
2: And, and how much interaction do you see in that and are these are ready to drink products with hard seltzers, or is it too early to say
3: I think it's too early to say, Rob I mean obviously there is some some interaction you know it's interesting we've we've been asked this question as it relates to the beer category, and uh, you know there's there's more, um, more of Seltzer's uh, volume and growth is coming from outside of the beer category than it's coming from inside the beer category. You know, the, our data would suggest that. I've seen our competitors uh, say the same thing, and, and uh, certainly it's, it's been very positive from an overall beer category, beer segment point of view. Terrific. Thank you very much.
1: Our first question comes from Bill Kirk with MKM Partners.
6: Hey, thank you for taking the question. Um, so you talked a bit about the rationale to uh, streamline economy brands, uh, but it also looks like there's there's some discontinuing of some SKUs for for pack sizes on brands like Coors Light and Miller Lite. Um, so can you can you talk about the decision, I guess, to to streamline pack sizes um, as it relates to to your, your efficiency efforts?
3: Yeah, thanks, Paul, um, and good morning to you as well. Look. Um, we, we, we did a, a thorough review of, of all of our all of our SKUs and brands. Um, I would say the majority of the of the skewed and brand, or certainly all the brand um, reductions and the majority of the skew reductions, are in our are, are in our economy space. Um, we did um, identify a, a few SKUs which which were slow moving and which could be substituted with with um, other more profitable uh, SKUs uh, that would make us more effective. And uh, so the there would have been uh, just a few uh, in, our, in our outside of the economy space that we rationalized. The vast majority of it uh, bull is in the is in the economy space.
6: Got it. And, and, and Tracy, as, as a follow-up, I, I think you said that U.S. brand volume um, declines were entirely economy. Does, does that mean excluding the discontinued economy brands, that that U.S. brand volume is positive? Or do the remaining economy brands still still drag that number into the negative?
4: Uh, no, so you know the, the four SKUs are just recent, and um, so I would say that it's it's really you know the entire sort of economy portfolio that that is driving that down.
3: Bill, Miller light and light in the second quarter, as I said, I think in my prepared remarks um grew i haven't don't think I've been able to say that that often um over the over the last sort of fifteen years or so. Um, and you know our above premium portfolio did did very well as well with with, with the blue Moon franchise uh, coming back strongly our craft brands uh, coming back and and uh, you know we're very pleased with our ourselves for performance.
6: Thank you appreciate it guys Thanks
3: Bob.
1: Our first question comes from
7: Lauren Lieberman Barclays great thanks good morning um well- love to talk a little bit more about on-premise um, and number one, just thinking about um, brand strategy and, and, and portfolio. So first, I was curious about hard seltzer, um, the degree to which you're trying to expand presence of your brands um, in on-premise. And I think that you had mentioned Vizi as an on-premise play in Canada. If I got that wrong, um, I apologize. But I was curious if that was in the thought process for for the U.S. And then also just. the I think industry-wide discussion of big brands gaining more presence share of tap handles and so on as on-premise reopens and I was curious the degree to which you're starting to see that or been positioning for that to be the case as reopening continues thanks
3: yeah thanks Lauren look I mean uh, yes during the pandemic we did see uh, you know increased demand for large trusted brands and and this is particularly true in the on-premise. Um, many on-premise owners are sticking to faster-moving moving brands. And, you know, this obviously benefits brands like Miller Lite and, and Coors Lite um, in particular for us. And, and we are seeing that trend stick as we settle into the sort of new normal, um, you know, and, uh, as I said earlier with Miller Lite and Coors Lite, we, we, are, we, we did grow um, segment share for the 27th uh, quarter. We're also seeing uh, growth in our above premium portfolio. Um, for example, Blue Moon in the U.S. is up nearly 15% in the quarter, Peroni's is up nearly 35%, and it has provided us an outstanding opportunity to sample our newer offerings, like so, you know, Blue Moon Light Sky and Visi and Topo Chico Hot Seltzer, which we actually missed um, that opportunity uh, last year. So, you know, certainly um, I wouldn't say it's just Visi that's going on premise. I would say it's both Visi and Topo Chico Hot Seltzer. Topo you know, as good as, as as well as it's doing, it's it still has in, in fairly limited number of markets, less than half of the states in the in the, in the US, and uh, in those states, it's the pre- on the desire for it to be on-premise has been has been uh, very very good. Um, Canada, obviously, a little too early to say because the the restrictions there have have, have dragged on a little longer um, than they than they did in the in the um, in the United States. Um, so. You know, too soon to tell um, how, how the, the Canadian on, on-premise is going to open up. In Europe, it's been very pleasing. You know, we, 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 as you know, significantly over-indexed to the to the on-premise. So the on-premise recovery that's taking place in in Europe has been has been very positive for us. And, and in fact, in July, we've seen the on-premise you know, business in uh, the UK start to approach 2019 levels um, and and hold there. So that's that's been um, in. That, that that has been very encouraging for
7: us. And and just to follow up to just clarify, I think it's it's within on premise that's opened. Do you believe that you're gaining share within those outlets um, because of any degree of greater distribution, um, you know, or relative presence within the channel?
3: In the U.S., the answer is yes. Um, in the U.K., um, the data lags a little bit, so not ready to call that yes. So, you know, we, we we have a hypothesis that we are, but I don't have data yet to support that. In Canada, obviously, the, the, the reopening is 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 not in a place where we can where we can determine that yet. But in, the, in our biggest market, the answer to that is yes, Laura.
7: Okay, great. And then the plan is to get to bring Vizy and um, Topo Chico, hard seltzer on premise in the U.S. And you have the capacity to do that in your plans is that for, for this year or is that more of a looking into 22?
3: certainly we have the capacity with uh, with busy we've, we've been able to meet um all the demand that our, our distributors have had with uh, with uh for busy um really since the beginning of the year Topa chico obviously is 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 more challenging from a supply point of view it you know continues to perform extremely well it's only got one skew. It's got distribution in only 16 markets. Um, and, you know, supply continues to be a, a little tight, but our production is improving. Um, and uh, that is going to allow us to, to push distribution, which would include the on premise. And it also allows us to start turning our marketing campaign on behind uh, Topo Chica as well, Lauren. So uh, I guess that's a convoluted way of saying yes.
7: Okay, great. Thank you so much.
1: Next question, Steve Powers,
6: Deutsche Bank. Thank you very much. Um, a couple of questions, questions centered on brand volume dynamics. Um, in Europe, if my numbers are correct, it looks like you're at about 91% of 2019 in the quarter, which is up from the mid-70s last quarter, which is which is great. And I guess just as you think about the back half, do you think you kind of hold steady at that mid-90s index level, or do you think uh, your plans vision improvement number one, and as we pivot to north america you're also at ninety one percent um indexed to nineteen in the quarter, but that was down from ninety four percent in the first quarter, presumably as the economy brands were were deprioritized but as we think about the back half similar question do you do you think you recover that um, that that index to nineteen in the back half uh, number one and number two you mentioned that um you know Premium and above premium were at the highest percentage of the of the overall um, mix that you've ever seen. I guess uh, curious as to whether, in absolute terms, those um, those price tiers are how they compare it to where you were in, in 19 in the similar timeframe. Thank you.
3: Thanks, Steve. Um, okay, let me see if I can get all of these for you. Um, Looking in Europe, as I said, actually, and, and and particularly in the UK, as you know, we. On-premise is really important to us, and, and we've actually seen the on-premise um, approach to 2019 levels um, for the last, uh, well, most of July. Actually, um, it actually spiked a bit higher than that, but that was distorted by the Euro finals. We were actually, you know, in in um, in, in the UK, we're actually for for a few weeks quite substantially above 2019 uh, levels that's That's settled back down now and, we're, and we're, as i said we 're approaching two thousand and nineteen levels Central Eastern Europe is a little bit being a little bit more um, impacted by by tourism um, and so we 're we're, we're probably not quite at the at the u k levels in central and uh, eastern europe and and you know in the in the u s we 've seen um, as I think I said on the last call uh, more outlets open from an on premise point of view than we were initially expecting and and certainly volume has has um, Increased and, and, and settled down into a fairly stable, um, stable level. We've, we, we will have in the back half of the year a lot more uh, fairs, festivals, um, alliance opportunities, uh, which we didn't have in the second half of last year. And I'm, you know, referring to to football primarily, which is a which is a big drinking occasion for us. So, you know, without wishing to put uh, particular goals out there, we. We are encouraged by what we're seeing from a from an on-premise um, and, um, and 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 venue volume uh, point of point of view. I wasn't totally sure I got your price tiers uh, question, um, Steve. So, let we give it a shot? I mean, we we did, as I said, have the strongest um, share of our, our of our portfolio being above premium in the second in the second quarter. You know, based on an NSR point of view, it was it was up into the up into the high teens uh, level which we, we we haven't seen levels like that since you know i don't know the joint venture um, started um, so working particularly um, particularly well and and in q2 our our nsr was actually above uh, 2019 so you know encouraging signs for sure okay No, that that's helpful so if i if i just play it back
6: to you it sounds like you you do in north america expect that um, the total portfolio, not just the on premise but the total the total brand volume portfolio you know can uh, better approach two thousand and nineteen levels in the back half versus what we saw in the second quarter is that is that a fair 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 playback
3: no not really Steve, because of our decisions around the economy portfolio right so the economy portfolio um, we as as we as i said in my prepared remarks and as, as we announced with our distributors uh, today we we are taking a, a meaningful um Cut on our economy portfolio to, uh, to rationalise that. So that that would be a negative for us. And you know, if you look at our share performance, I see our share performance quoted often. Um, you know, 70% of that of that decline in share is, is is the economy portfolio for us. And you know, we paused a lot of skews um, and brands, and 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 some of them, as we announced today, won't won't come back. So. You know, certainly from a from a premium light um, and above premium uh, point of view, which includes selfs, uh, we're feeling really good about our, our position and our and our momentum. Okay, that that helps. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.
1: Our next question comes from Kevin Grundy, Jeffries.
8: Hey, uh, good morning, everyone. Um, I wanted to kind of pull together some of the. Topics we've discussed so far on the call kind of bring it back to the revenue and EBITDA guidance. Um, kind of at Gavin, as you're assessing the first six months of the year, looking to the balance of the year and, and specifically around the major puts and takes. Uh, when you spoke with the investment community in June, uh, you said the company was running ahead of plan. On premise recovery certainly seems to be running ahead of plan, and certainly where folks thought perhaps six months ago, the performance of your sales portfolio. Uh, Similarly, also running ahead of plan, commodity environment worse, and then it seems like the FKU rationalization probably has greater pace than you anticipated at the start of the year. So when you kind of pull all this together, I was hoping you could uh, comment on anything perhaps we're missing. Just put a, a finer point on the puts and takes as you look back over the past six months, how this has progressed. Your level of confidence for the company as you look to the balance of the year and then perhaps just confirm, given the setup here and the strategy, it sounds like the inclination will be to reinvest any top line upside. If you could just confirm
3: that. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Yeah, a lot going on there. Um, so I guess the two things which I would say when we talked to the investment community after Q1, which which didn't transpire as we were expecting, was, was, was Canada. Uh, you know, the, 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 the reopening of the on-premise and uh, the continuation of the lockdown went on for longer than we were expecting in Canada. And um, in the, in the UK, we were expecting you know the so-called Freedom Day to be to be back in June, and as you know, that was delayed into into July. I would say those are the two things that we that we didn't know at, at that time. Uh, from a revitalisation plan point of view, yes, I mean we our the whole um, rationale for the revitalization plan is to drive both top line and bottom line growth. And the first year was always going to be a reinvestment year, which was supposed to be last year, but we've been through all the reasons why that. That didn't make sense, and we're certainly reinvesting behind our brands this year. We we increased our marketing spend meaningfully in um, in the in the second quarter. There were a couple of things that didn't make sense for us to do, like investing in meaningful marketing in Canada while it was closed, and and uh, you know delaying uh, the UK out a month. Um, so that was you know probably marketing spend that we would have spent in Q2, which which will now move into 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 the back half of the year. And as Tracy said, primarily in in Q3. Um, our supply uh, situation has improved meaningfully um, since since the cybersecurity attack. And you know, our fast-moving brands and SKUs, um, with the exception of, of, of one or two um, uh, SKUs or, or sub-segments, um, are, at, are at inventory levels that are higher than they were at the same time um, last year, which allows us now to, to really put emphasis um, behind our brands. Um, as I said, Topo Chico is um, supply. Uh, we've worked. You know, really well with our partners to increase our supply in the in the in the in the third quarter and and beyond, and so that that'll be coming through, which will allow our marketing teams to really put emphasis uh, behind that. So, um, I think I've answered your question, Kevin. But uh, help me if I haven't.
8: No, 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 that, Gavin, that's extremely helpful. If I could just squeeze in one one quick follow-up, just Tracy on on, on the cadence of the the margin profile for this company. There's a, there's a lot of discussion on the ability for the company to reach pre-pandemic levels as, as you sort of look out, understanding there's a lot of volatility still in the environment. How should investors think about that, balancing the need to reinvest and, and get investment levels back to, to pre-pandemic levels? But is there any reason to think that over the next couple of years that at the total company level, margins should not reach where they were in 2019? And then I'll pass it on.
4: Yeah, look, um, we, we had not given gardens um, beyond this this year. But, you know, as Gavin spoke to the revitalization plan, that is about, um, you know, premiumization, uh, which obviously comes with higher margin. It is about the cost savings initiatives um, in our breweries as well as, you know, from a a G&A point of view, Um, you know, so that should help. But, you know, beyond that, um, we haven't given guidance. Um, But I I would just consider those items, you know, specifically related to revitalization.
8: Very good. I'll leave it there. Thank you. Good luck.
9: Thanks,
4: Kevin. Thank you. Our
1: next question comes from Nadine Sarwat with Bernstein.
5: Yeah, morning, everybody. Thank you for taking my question. So I wanted to zoom in a little bit more on Europe. Um, so how much of the volume growth that you saw in Europe came from restocking at distributor levels or retailers? Um, especially on trade. As you said, Freedom Day was meant to be in June, then it was moved to July. And then any update on the state of the inventories now and how that uh, that can help us think of the state in Q3. Thank you.
3: Thanks, Nadine. Um, it, as far as inventory levels, is that a question for Europe or for the US?
5: Maybe we kick off with uh, Europe, and then I would, that was actually going to be my follow-up on, on the US.
3: Okay. Well, look, in Europe, we, we experienced progressive increase um, as hospitality uh, reopened. As you know, it, it reopened for outdoor consumption on April 12th and then, you know, moved indoors on May the 17th um, and then uh, obviously only uh, fully out into, the, in, into freedom on, on July the, the 19th. Um, you know, we, we saw on-premise volumes in Q2 average around 70% of, of pre-pandemic um, levels. And as I said in July, we've seen on-premise really start to approach the 2019 um, levels. Uh, there, there wasn't a, a you know a one week or two week um, build-up of, of inventory in our in our in, in, in the on-premise, and so I would say um, that uh, that that would be more progressive. I mean, frankly, we don't hold uh, big inventories in the UK at all, so it's not it's not going to be a you know. A, a, a material impact, uh, one way or another, from a from an inventory um, level uh, point of view. And then, you know, for as far as inventories in in the US are concerned, um, look, we, we we said we wanted to be in a better place by Memorial Day, and we and we were going to be in a good place by by uh, July the fourth with our with our big brands and our fast moving SKUs. And, and certainly, cans was was always the the big challenge. And and you know, we 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 delivered what we said we were going to do with with the cans and our, on our big brands and large packs. And uh, the inventory levels for, for, for those SKUs are actually, um, have been um, and continue to be above um, the same levels as they were um, in 2020. So, you know, we're we making good progress there. Great, that's very helpful.
5: And then if I could just squeeze in one more follow-up, a lot of questions so far on Topo Chico. Um, can you give us any indication as to Data you're getting from the consumers, how much of that performance uh, is coming with respect to new trials or repeat buys? Any additional color would be helpful.
3: Yeah, and I mean, the demand for Topo Chico is is, is incredibly strong. Um, you know, it's really only got one SKU, and we've only got distribution in 16 markets. Um, it's it's already the number three new item in the in the segment. Um, it's quickly become the fastest-turning seltzer brand in in Texas, the number three fastest-turning seltzer overall, right behind White Claw and and Truly. And you know our supply continues to be to be tight, but our production's improved, so that is going to allow us to push distribution and and features. Um, you know our distributors, our retail partners have got strong belief in this in this brand, and we're seeing that um, from a from a um, consumer uh, point of view as well it's a, it's actually a top 10 uh, growth brand in the in in the in the country and, and we as i said less, less than half of the of of the states uh from a where is the volume coming from it's 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 coming from from a from a from across all of the um the the demographic uh, groups There's no one particular demographic uh, group that that uh, dominates and um you know i'm sure it's 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 taking share from some of our competitors yes for sure
5: Okay,
3: thank you. I'll turn it over.
1: Thanks, Nadine. Our next question is from Lohan Grande, Guggenheim.
9: Thank you, and good afternoon, everyone. So, uh, two sets of questions. And, and the first one is really uh, trying to exhaust in the questions on Selser. Um You received, uh, mentioned that course SELSER is uh, stopped, So, but you reiterated your your goal to reach I mean 10% uh, of the sales category by your end. So, if you if you can reprovide really some color how to would you do, you, you think you will bridge the gap from where you are right now to uh, to 10%, uh, and really on this I mean, uh, with the with the the loss of uh, of uh, core sales, I mean, uh, um, do you do you, will you be pushing for visit in the short term to gain more shelf space? And how comfortable you are you will uh, you will get that, and also with score selser I mean, uh, gone i mean uh, you probably got some more um i would say i mean uh, manufacturing uh, capacity uh potentially to 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 launch faster uh, to Pochico if you were to repatriate it in house uh sooner, so wanted to know if it, if the stock had been uh, um has been impacting uh, the, the, the timeline for Topo Chico to be repatriated in-house and to be relaunched in more, in more states.
3: Thanks, Laurent. Um, as far as our 10% uh, sh- share goal is, is concerned, you know, we, 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 as I said, I think we've got to clear and differentiated winners with Vizy and, and, uh, and uh, Topo Chico. Um, with Vizy. Um, you know we've, we're seeing strong traction with the with the innovation that we have brought, uh, particularly the Variety Pack Two and, and Busy Lemonade. Um, we're seeing with retailers where we've got all three Busy SKUs on shelf that we see, you know, almost a two-thirds increase in in each of those SKUs' velocities. And um, so we're going to continue to fuel Visi's momentum. Uh, we've got more innovation coming. Um, we we have had inver- innovation LTOs like our, our June Pride Pack. And we've just recently launched uh, Watermelon uh, Variety Pack. So, you know, it's carved out a unique point of difference in the category, and and, and so uh, so much so that we're, you know, well on our way to becoming, you know, the number four spot in the segment, despite all the new entrants in, in 2021. Um, I'm not going to show our hand in terms of which brands are going to uh, take Coors Hard Seltzer's uh, space, but you can assume that... You know, we we, we do have um, innovation coming on um, on on, on Visi and and, and we will utilise Coors Hard Seltzer space uh, to 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 put that um, innovation from Visi in, in into that space. Um, and so we feel good about Visi. Visi and uh, will certainly be a, a big part of of getting to um, our 10 share goal. Um, as will Topo Chico. As I said, you know, to to Nadine, I'm not going to repeat all of that, but you know, it does remain. Incredibly strong supplies improving. We have worked with our third-party um, suppliers to ramp up uh, supply, um, and we'll go national when we believe we we can supply the, um, the, the the markets that we're in at this point in time. I mean, we the how high is high is not quite clear yet on on Topo Chico because we haven't been able to uh, supply all the demand in Texas. We're over a 10 share, I said. In other states uh, we're doing equally um as as well so um you know in terms of of when are we going to bring it in house we've always said we're going to bring it in house um in 2022 that that plan is on is on track um when we do it'll improve our our margins and um you know it's a slightly different uh, uh process than 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 perhaps busy so you know or salsa so it's not a it's not a direct uh, substitution from a from a a liquid point of view, but certainly from a can availability point of view, uh, we've we've got that capacity and it's ready. Happy to take one more question, I think, operator.
1: Our next question comes from Sean King with UBS.
6: Thanks for getting getting me in here. it, one question I have is um what was the cadence of depletions um from i, I guess we heard in the us like a positive you know mid-single
8: digits uh, back in back in April to the minus four percent for the quarter um you know and any insights maybe you could provide um you know on, on what you're seeing in july for for, for depletions thanks uh, Sean.
3: look I mean uh... A, from, a, from a second corner point of view, most of, of, of um, our decline would have been in the, economy, in the economy space. I mean, if you look at our share, I think I said, you know, almost approaching 70 percent of our, of our share losses economy. It's a very choiceful decision that we've, that we've made. Um, you know, that doesn't mean that we don't think all segments matter, because we do. We do believe all segments matter, but we've chosen to, to ensure uh, that we meet the demands of, of, of the largest segment of our consumers at, at this point in time. So. You know, most of that of that decline would have been uh, driven by the choice we made around economy. Um, as far as um, you know, uh, volume uh, guidance into the second half, um, Sean, we 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 don't do uh, do that as a um, as a matter of principle uh, uh, anymore. I know we used to do it in years past, but um, we're, we're not going to give that now. All right, it was a,
2: worth a shot, but I, I appreciate the color. Thank you.
3: Thanks, Sean.
1: This concludes our question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back to the speakers for any closing remarks.
3: Thanks very much, Operator. Um, Look, I I understand that there were more questions that we weren't able to get to uh, today given the time constraints. So please, if you could follow up with our investor relations team, and and we look forward to talking talking with many of you as as the year progresses. So thank you, everybody, for participating in today's call.
1: The conference has now concluded. Thank you for attending today's presentation. You may now disconnect.
0: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.